Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about, all while hanging with your mom friends. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Today, we had the pleasure of sitting down with Iris Chen. Iris is the creator of the wildly popular website, social media account, and book, all titled Untigering. Iris is an American-born Chinese who ended up raising kids who are Chinese-born Americans. She considers herself a deconstructing tiger mother who is doing her best to become a gentle parent. As she learned to honor her children's individuality and autonomy, she felt it no longer made sense to subject them to a system that wouldn't do the same and began to practice unschooling with her children. Iris has a second book coming out soon entitled Unschooling. Today, we dive into untigering, gentle parenting, unschooling, cultural standards, and reparenting. Buckle up. This is a good one. All right, Iris. So our first question is a fill in the blank. Motherhood is. The first thing that came to me is motherhood is a portal for our own healing. And what I mean by that is, is just like, it brings up so much stuff for us. It like brings up anger and frustration, feeling of helplessness And I know for myself that that was really an invitation for me to dig deeper into what was going on for me. So it wasn't even really about my children. It was just sort of like, you know, a mirror, a reflection of things that I needed to work on in myself. So (laughs) I don't know if you saw my face when you said that, but right when you said the first, uh, a portal for my own healing, I feel like we should just do a mic drop and we can just end the podcast right there. (laughs) That (laughs) is- Tracy and I were like, (laughs) not really a light opener, right? (laughs) But it's perfect. It's so true though. I mean, I'm feeling that immensely- right now. Uh, I mean, my daughter's four and a half and I'm just finally getting the the scraps and the ideas that, Hey, I've got some work to do on myself right now. If I really want to, you know, be the mom that I want to be. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It opens up a, a lot there. Mm-hmm. So isn't the term that they're using now called reparenting? We have to. Yes. Yes. So I definitely identify with that. Like my whole untigering journey has been a lot of my own personal, like reparenting of myself. And I think a lot of the work that we have to do as parents is about that and less about how we are parenting our children. So good. All right. What do you value most in a friendship? I would say authenticity and deep conversation. Like I don't do chit chat very well. So if I meet you for the first time, it might be like either we go deep or I won't talk to you at all. (laughs) I just get really worn out by those (laughs) surface questions. So I think that's the way I connect with other people too, is like having deep conversations about things that really matter to us. Would you consider yourself an introvert? 
Yes. I'm an introvert. I consider myself a highly sensitive person. So all those things probably lend to that. Like, yeah. You're in very good company here. Oh, oh, yes, absolutely. I consider myself a highly sensitive person. Chrissy's an introvert and I'm with you. The small talk over small things is kind of exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. Cindy, I think you're good at the small talk. You do? (laughs) Yeah. You're, you're like always chatting for ages with people. And I I feel like you're really good at the small talk. Well, I ask a lot of questions because I'm genuinely very curious over things that that individuals have done over their lives and what they're going through. And sometimes I wonder if it comes across as too much for people. Like, are you judging me? Absolutely not. I just really want to know about you. No, I, I don't think it comes across that way at all, Cindy. I, but I, I definitely think you have more of like an extrovert line running through you when you're interacting with people. Iris, what is the most daring thing you've ever done? I would say, I mean, I've done some, you know, pretty crazy things like moving across the world to China when I was like a newlywed. But the thing that came to mind for me was actually writing this book. Untigering, I think for me, it was like a real vulnerable place for me to be first, because like feeling like maybe I wasn't good enough that uh, like, you know, just imposter syndrome. Plus, I was writing about very vulnerable, scary things to write about, not only about myself, but about my family. But I really felt like I needed to do it, that it was part of my own healing, part of opening up the conversation for other families to have, you know, just to see their own stories reflected through mine and to give people hope that there is, you know, hope for change. And so, yeah, I actually self-published this book. So not having that affirmation of, of a publishing house or whatever telling me that, it was like a good book. I just believed in it so much that I decided I wanted to publish it and put it out there. Um, just believing that it would resonate with people. Oh, so. good for you. And you have, a, I mean, you have a loyal following. You, you have a lot of people that are listening to what you have to say and your message resonates, you know, I mean, I, I kudos to you for taking that step and writing that book. I, I, Cindy and I talk about it all the time, just writing our newsletters, you know, sometimes, or a vulnerable social media post where you're sharing something. It, it's scary. It's really scary to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and share a piece of it, but it can be so healing for yourself and for others. Mm. So yeah. kudos to you for, for doing you. that. What advice would you give your younger self? I just have so much compassion for my younger self. And I, what I would really want to tell her is that she is loved and worthy without needing to perform or be perfect. I think those were sort of like the messages that I internalized as a child, you know, becoming an overachiever, trying to be the perfect child, the perfect student, the perfect mom. And obviously that didn't turn out well. So yeah, just extending a lot of compassion and reminding myself that I am loved as I am. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that message. And speaking of our younger selves, I'm going to move us into our next question, which 
there tends to be a generational overflow when it comes to parenting. And when I say this, I mean that there are certain experiences, wounds, or coping mechanisms that were developed in our lives, and they are often reflected in the parenting of our children, and then so on down the generational line until the unhealthy patterns are recognized and then more constructive techniques are learned. You mentioned, I think it was on your website, that quote, my early years of motherhood were fraught with authoritarian abusive practices, yelling, spanking, punishing with unreasonable consequences. Anything was game as long as I showed them who's boss, end quote. Will you please share a bit about the way you were parented and did the way that you were parented influence your early parenting behaviors as well as your desire to find alternative methods? Sure. Yeah. So the whole term of untigering is is a word that I coined to describe my own process of moving away from these like really strict authoritarian styles of parenting, which is called tiger parenting. I don't know if uh, your audience is familiar with that that term, but it's from Amy Chua's book, The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. And I think after that book came out, it was, you know, it became part of culture to talk about tiger parenting. She is also a Chinese American and writes about it from like a cultural perspective. And I think, you know, I'm also Chinese American. And um, I think a lot of the way I was parented has to do with not only cultural values, but also the immigrant experience of my parents leaving their homeland, coming here with the hopes of achieving the American dream and needing to assimilate, needing to perform in certain ways in order to like gain acceptance into society. And so the way I was parented was very much tiger parenting, where there were a lot of rules. It was very strict, very hierarchical. My father was definitely the head head of the household and whatever he said, what, you know, goes. And there's also really high expectations to do well in school, to get good grades, to go to a good, good college, to get a good job and excel in your career. Some of that wasn't even explicit. It was just what you what I absorbed from my community around me or just comments or observations of how they responded to me. So I definitely was shaped by that experience. And then when I had my own children, like there's just definitely a culture gap between first generation immigrants and their children. And so I knew that I didn't want to be that tiger parent. I mean, it was totally my intention not to be like my parents. So I, I felt like I would loosen up. I, you know, would show affection and be fun and all those things. But I think, again, when we don't actually do the work of, of healing, it still just unconsciously comes out in the way that we parent our children. And so I I was trying to find a happy medium, you know, like I was still going, I was going to, yeah, just not be so strict, show them affection, tell them I loved them, but I still expected obedience. I still expected them to listen to me immediately. I still, still expected them to 
perform well and to strive for excellence in whatever they did. And so I think that still caused a lot of just frustration and conflict with my children. And I didn't actually think that I needed to find alternative methods until I was sort of like desperate because my children were not responding well to the way I was parenting. My oldest in particular was probably a more anxious, sensitive child, but I just interpreted that as difficult, as disobedient, as like you're being naughty because you're crying all the time and melting down and not doing as I say. And it was just a really tense environment that I constantly felt frustrated. And I think it goes back to this idea of like performance and perfection where I felt like motherhood was really exposing ways that I didn't feel in control. I didn't feel like I was doing a good job. I couldn't get the results that I wanted. And so that made me even more frustrated and like wanting to control even more. And so it wasn't until I learned more about the neurobiology of children, of how they need our help to regulate. It wasn't that they were like purposely trying to push our buttons. It was that they neurobiologically, they didn't have the brain development to regulate on their own. And they needed my help to do that. And I think that was um, helpful for me just to know that, like the way I had been interpreting his behavior, my oldest son in particular, was really full of judgment and was an unfair way of seeing his cry for help, how I can approach him with a lot more compassion and understanding, understanding like the needs that are underneath the behaviors. Iris, I'm interested to know, how do your parents interpret your work now? Like, I'm sure they've read your book and follow, you know, what are their thoughts? How do they approach their grandchildren? Yeah, my father actually passed away last year, two years ago now in December. But, you know, I really feel like they are on their own untigering journey too. You know, like we often see our parents sort of soften as they become grandparents. You know, they're not so anxious about how their children are going to turn out. There's more ease. And so because they don't necessarily read things in English very often. So I don't even, I don't know if they're, if they've read my book or are totally familiar with my work, but they're, they're still very supportive. And even though they might not agree you know, they probably have their own ideas of how to parent or how to educate your child and all those things. But there's, um, I think there's enough respect and trust for them to give me room to be my own person and to have my own voice. And so I'm really grateful for that. Like, even though they might not be totally on board with what I'm doing, there's enough respect and honor to allow me space to, to do that and to note that they support me in doing that. Out of curiosity, Iris, on that same line of questioning that Chrissy just asked you, did your kids spend a lot of time with your parents? So what I find sometimes is that since parenting is a bit different 
in my generation right now versus how I was parented as a child. When my kids go and spend time with their grandparents, either my husband's side or my side, they might say, oh, so-and-so is being mean, when in reality, they probably were just setting up some boundaries. Did you find that there were discrepancies in your parenting styles and did, did, was that hard on the kids? Yeah. So I was living miles away from my family in China at that time. I'm now back in the States, uh, living not too far away from my mom, but most of my children's lives were in China. And so we had a lot of distance with my family, with, you know, much of my community here. And so there was that difference. Like we saw them during the summers for a brief amount of time. So there wasn't a lot of interaction in that way, but there was like, obviously they, like I could notice differences in things that they said or ways that they wanted to uh, motivate my children or control them in different ways. But I'm really grateful actually, even though it was hard to be away from family and to not have that support that, I had some distance to create my own family culture in ways that aligned with who we were and our values and to sort of be able to break some of those patterns. You know, when we're talking about generational stuff, like in order to break patterns, sometimes we need a little bit more distance so that we can be more established in this new way of doing things instead of being pulled back into those old cycles, into those old patterns. So sometimes we do need more boundaries and more distance uh, so that we don't end up, you know, reverting back or repeating those patterns. Sure. So much of what you've said so far has resonated so much with me. And one of the things that I thought of right away was, oh my gosh, it's so overwhelming. And the reason I'm thinking of this is because um, I'm thinking of all of the different books and different parenting techniques and opinions and unsolicited advice that is available right now to the modern day parent. And I've definitely succumbed to all of it, you know, trying to just be the best parent I can be. And due to the exuberant amount of content, it's overwhelming to determine what, what technique will best suit my family, which I'm sure a lot of people struggle with that as well. What, what technique best suits their family, even the parent or a specific child. Cause you had talked about, you know, all children are different. And since each child is unique, it isn't uncommon for different techniques to work better for different children. So when you had your quote unquote about face and you dove into learning more about gentle and peaceful parenting, how did you settle on this particular modality? And did you have early influencers, people that you really clung onto and, and you said, okay, this is what I want to subject my children to and, the, and what I want to adopt for my family? Yeah. You know, I don't know if I approached it like a, a modality or like sort of this boxed philosophy or curriculum of like, okay, this is, this is how you're supposed to parent. It was really reading, learning about things and seeing what resonated with me. And it's funny because somebody asked me recently, oh, what is the next book that I should read? 
And even though I wrote a book about parenting, I told them, I think we need to do less reading and more intuition, more internal questioning and attunement to ourselves. Because like you said, like who we are and who our children are is so unique. It's not about a strategy. It's not about like these certain techniques. It's really about who am I and who is my child? How can we learn to live together and respect one another in ways that feel good for both of us, right? That's not to say that I didn't have influencers. I mean, I remember reading Dr. Shafali's book, The Conscious Parent, and that was very just like, oh my goodness, I have so much work to do. Is This is really about me and not my child. There's L.R. Nost. There's Lydia Schott from Synergy Parenting. Because I was also living in China at that time, so I didn't have access to like a lot of books necessarily. So I did a lot of like online social media stuff. Like what can I find online? Daniel Siegel and his book, The Whole Brain Child, Alfie Cohn. So all of these were really helpful for me, but I also noticed like one huge reason why I wanted to write my book was that most of these people are like middle-class white folks who, whose upbringing, whose culture, whose background is really different from mine. And so it's not just about like the dynamic between parent and child, but like, what about grandparents? What about your community? What about your culture? What about, what about the cultural norms within your, your community? And so those are also things that I wanted to touch on as a parent, because it's not just about me and my like individualistic view of what's happening between me and my child, but also like the community that I'm a part of as well. Yeah, there's definitely a strong cultural component that you touch on in Untigering. And I, I do think that that is important and will resonate with a lot of people. This episode is sponsored by Her Circle, the supportive and welcoming community for moms created by Her Health Collective. Her Circle is a welcoming and supportive community for moms who are passionate about making change for themselves, their families, the community, and the world. Together, this village of women are revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. From an active, private online community and the incredible daily chats hosted there, to our many virtual gatherings, including support groups, mom's night out, volunteer opportunities, book club, family adventures, coffee chats, and so much more. We love providing moms the chance to connect and create authentic relationships with one another. The network of experts in her circle are a phenomenal resource and provide great learning experiences for moms on topics ranging from women's health to parenting. We cover the issues that matter to moms the most, from virtual expert Q&As to one-on-one -on -one wellness minute consultations and support groups. We are committed to getting moms in front of the information, experts, and support they need most. To learn more about Her Circle, head to www.herhealthcollective.com slash her dash circle. We have a limited number of spaces and the doors only open a few times a year. So be sure to add your name to the no obligation waitlist so you are the first to know when the doors officially reopen.
you have previously spoken about resentment as a mother and I felt it deeply. (laughs) You've stated, and this is a quote, that mainstream parenting often conditions us to interact with children in ways that lack healthy boundaries, encourage martyrdom, and foster resentment. We sacrifice ourselves believing that that is what makes us good parents. Our needs, desires, and limits don't matter, especially as women. Our resentment gets us labeled as bitchy, ungrateful, selfish. But what if we saw our resentment as a gift rather than a curse, as an invitation rather than an indictment on our character? You later go on to state, peaceful parenting is not about catering to our child's every whim and need at our own expense. I loved everything about this statement. I feel like often in the early stages of learning about and attempting to implement peaceful parenting, there can be moments of deep resentment. And I'm only speaking of myself right now. There, I'm sure <laughs> others will hopefully feel me on this, but that resentment can develop in the parent. It sometimes feels like you're trying to hold things in. You always are trying to stay calm and measured. And that is the furthest thing from what you feel on the inside. Can you tell us more about this idea of resentment as a gift rather than a curse? Because I'm really intrigued and I really like it. And how has this shift helped you embrace peaceful parenting? Yeah, I think like I mentioned right at the beginning where, where I see parenthood, motherhood as a portal to our own healing. And I feel like resentment and frustration and all those like unpleasant emotions that come up are those signals of ways that our boundaries have been crossed, ways that we have unmet needs that are crying out to be met. So again, it's like an invitation to get curious about ourselves. So like, it's not that we're never triggered. We're always gentle and always peaceful and everything comes easily. It's not that at all. Oftentimes it's like, noticing our emotions, noticing all that's coming up for us. And instead of like reacting to it, instead of like punishing our child, yelling at them, taking it out on our child, how how can we sit with it? Like sit with our resentment, notice it and dig a little deeper, ask ourselves the question, why am I feeling this way? What is it bringing up for me? And hopefully as we can get more curious about ourselves, what's going on within us, just bringing more awareness to what our wounds are so that we can begin healing those and we can begin communicating our needs and boundaries to the people in our lives in, in healthier ways. Because like, I think like you read, it's just like, it's not just about the child's needs in peaceful parenting. We want everybody in the family to feel peaceful. (laughs) It, It doesn't serve us if it's just like, okay, the child feels great and the child gets whatever they want, but then the parents are like ragged and overwhelmed and burnt out. You know, that doesn't, that's not what this is about. And it's not about just sucking, sucking things up and tolerating behavior that really bothers us. And then it becomes so unbearable that we blow up. We get really upset. And that's where the resentment comes in, right? So yeah, I think, again, it's really like attuning to ourselves. How can we notice these things, attune to ourselves so that we can draw boundaries, even with our children, 
in healthy, proactive ways instead of reactive ways, right? So like if I know that I don't like a lot of noise in the house because I am a highly sensitive person, knowing that about myself, it's not really that I'm angry or upset with the children. I just know my own needs and my own boundaries. So how can I communicate that to my family in a way that's not about like placing the blame on them, but about teaching them who I am and how we can coexist together in a way where we respect each other and have each other's needs met. So I might say, okay, when my door is closed, I just need some time to myself. Or like, if you're going to be screaming and like going wild, can you do that outside in the backyard? Or, you know, instead of letting them do it because they should have the freedom to do whatever they want and then getting so overwhelmed and angry that I like blow up at them and, you know, send them to their room because they're like going too crazy. So again, yeah, just nipping things in the butt and being proactive about how we're feeling about things so that it doesn't come out in reactive ways. Yeah, it it sounds like there's really two key pieces. It's the awareness and and sometimes that's hard to, I mean, thank goodness for therapy. That's what I heard through most of that. It's like, it's a good thing you're in therapy, Chrissy. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think that's a big piece of it is just being aware and, and like looking at the situation and it's sometimes hard in the moment, but hopefully as you practice it, it gets better. And then I, the, the proactive piece of it in, you know, I loved your example of, cause I'm very triggered by noise. I'm a very highly sensitive person too. And especially when I'm like in a certain thoughts or in the noise and it doesn't even have to be loud noise. Like I'll go upstairs and Noah, my partner will have music on because he's washing the dishes. And if I've just finished a lot of work or I'm like, it's so jarring. It's a beautiful song. I love it. It's not that loud, but like my, every time, you know, the beat drops, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so just kind of being aware and, and proactively communicating, I think is, is huge. I, I definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes we feel like we in the moment always need to be responding in a certain way to our children. And sometimes we just don't have to do anything like it. We just have to take time to sit with it. Like sometimes we can't respond in the way that we want to, you know, like with gentleness or with, you know, compassion. And I think that's OK, because we we need to be able to be regulated ourselves before we can really offer it to our children. And sometimes that's not going to happen this time. Sorry. (laughs) And that's okay. Like how can, again, this is a practice, you know, peaceful parenting is a practice. So how can we over time, you know, sometimes we just have to like be in the moment and like be super triggered and just hold our tongue. Like that's our action for that moment. Just not to say anything, not to like give them a punishment or whatever, like just to sit with it. If it's this one time when we're not responding reactively, I think we just like build that muscle and can have more capacity to be more aware. I'm going to actually pick your brain for a second on parenting. And you had mentioned when kids get loud, you say, oh, can you take that outside? And this is actually something that my husband and I have struggled with for a very, very long time in terms of like loudness. Our kids tend to be very loud. And like we had talked about before, there are a lot of different 
parenting sources that can conflict at times. So one parenting source might say, let your kids be kids and don't stifle them because they don't need to learn that they need to quiet their voices because we they they need to be loud in society and stand up for themselves. But then on the flip side, there is this need to be respectful and teach our children how to behave inside in inside and then what is appropriate inside versus outside. And so we, my husband and I find ourselves looking at our girls and saying, please lower your voices, please lower your voices. We're inside. If you want to talk like that, you need to be outside. And it doesn't work. (laughs) So (laughs) I find myself controlling myself for a little while. I might ask them, okay. And then I'll have a huge emotion and I'll be like, you guys need to, you know, just kind of blow up from your perspective and what you like to teach. Can you shed some light on this whole thing? Mm -hmm. I think part of it is sometimes our adult expectations, right? That are really not developmentally appropriate or like, even if we're triggered by noise, we wouldn't tell a baby not to cry, right? That's just how they communicate. And they don't, they don't know how to cry in a way that doesn't trigger us. So I think part of it is for us as adults to question whether or not our expectations are fair, whether or not it's just about our convenience, whether they're just, you know, being fully human and something that where I need to change my perspective. But like I said, you know, our needs matter too. So like, how can we still validate their need to be exuberant, to be allowed to, yeah, to just be be fully themselves. Yeah, Yeah. to be kids, to have the freedom to be kids in ways where, you know, that honor our own boundaries too. So I think it it does take some self-reflection to ask, okay, do I just want my child to be convenient for my sake? Or am I worried about how they will be perceived by other people? Mm. Or, you know, sometimes our boundaries, we need to question our boundaries too. Like, where is it coming from? Why am I having these feelings? Is it something that I need to work on? Or is it something that, you know, I really need to draw a line for with my children? And hopefully, like, the more we validate, because I do feel like there are, you know, appropriate situations or environments to do certain things or not do certain things. But hopefully, like the more we validate whatever their need is, the more they are able to just accept that guidance from us and to be able to discern like, okay, in this environment, I can't be like running around. And in this environment, it's okay too, you know? Mm. So great. But it's it's definitely challenging. Mm. I don't think there are easy answers for that. No, especially when our nine-year-old goes, we're just being kids. And you're (laughs) like, oh my gosh, (laughs) thanks. (laughs) Nine-year-old parent there, right? (laughs) Talk about reparenting. (laughs) Yes. So there's also ways that we can draw boundaries for ourselves. Like instead of asking the other person to meet our needs, like how are ways that we can meet our needs? Like maybe we can go outside. Or maybe we can have 
noise canceling headphones, or we can take time to go to the coffee shop so that we're not around this like chaotic energy all the time. So there's also things that we can do for ourselves, like choices that we can make without controlling the other person that can also help us to meet our own needs. So true because we do, we look at our children, I'm saying we as like a general sense, and we tell them or remind them, what do you have the capacity control to control? What can you control and what is out of your control? And we try to teach them, but then as, as parents ourselves, we just, we forget all of that. And yes. So thank you. Yeah, that was, that was very helpful. And I was drawn in by your blog post that was titled five unschooling principles to practice in any context where you talk about unschooling or de-schooling principles that families can practice even if their children attend traditional school. The concept of unschooling was not part of your upbringing. You actually describe yourself as an overachiever, which you've mentioned already in the podcast, but you said you read at an early age, skipped kindergarten, became your high school valedictorian, attended a prestigious university and graduated with honors a semester early. You mentioned that this was learning by arbitrary adult standards and that as adults, we tend to force and manufacture learning first. So there is so much in here to unpack, but first, please talk to us about the concept of unschooling. And then will you please talk to our, our moms through balancing these ideas with the constant demands of society? So TV and electronics and getting children involved in activities they enjoy, demands of diet culture and all of the other societal ideal ideals that uh, plague our children's intuition. Like they're already programmed as kids to like. And um, what tips do you have for parents to effectively advocate for our children? Yeah, so like, Like I mentioned in the beginning, when you were asking me about friendship, I feel like this idea of authenticity is something really core to my values, I guess. And so when I think of unschooling, I think of it as like the liberatory practice of us and our children being able to live authentically, live, learn, and love authentically, where we choose to live in ways that actively resist oppressive systems and schoolish ideals, ideas that teach us to not be authentic, that try to conform us or um, make us hide or suppress things about ourselves where we cannot be authentic. So unschooling, for most people means that they leave the compulsory schooling system and learn to live and educate children outside of that. But it's much more than that. To me, it's definitely a way of life where we're resisting these different systems that teach us not to be authentic. And so when when you ask me, like, how can we uh, balance these different ideas, you know, with the demands of modern society, in some ways, I'm not trying to raise my children to succeed in a toxic modern society. <laughs> like if if there's like so many things about modern society that that do plague us and that are not healthy for our children, how can I 
recognize that, be more aware of the things in our society that are not serving us, that are not healthy, and resist it, opt out of it, transform it, instead of trying to make our children succeed within that culture. Your choice was to homeschool is what you you ended up doing, right? For your... Yeah. So we unschool and I, I want to differentiate between homeschooling and unschooling because homeschooling can often be like just recreating school at home where uh, parents are still like deciding on curriculum, still have, you know, a lot of expectations of what their children should do. Whereas for me, it's more like self-directed learning where my children are empowered to pursue the things that they enjoy learning. We learn through life and living together, all the, the ways that life has, you know, has to teach us. And so it's not this top-down, like authoritarian, I as a parent know what's best for you. I as a parent decide what you should learn, what books you should read, what content you should uh, be absorbing right now on a certain schedule, you need to meet certain milestones. Like I don't do any of that. It's really about following the child's lead, letting them be intrinsically motivated to pursue things that um, really engage them. So I think instead of like, when you're asking about advocating for your child, I would say really be on the side of your child instead of on the side of the system, because sometimes we see like, okay, these are the expectations of society or your coach or of school. And how can I help you to meet those expectations? Whereas like these activities or these things are supposed to serve your child, are supposed to serve your family to help your child and empower your child to become their best self. So instead of trying to be on the side of the system, enforcing these standards upon your child, how can you just support your child and if needed, push back against those systems that don't serve your child? So for example, like if there's um, like a lot of demands on homework or like, okay, if you're Zoom schooling and the parent, the teacher has the expectation that the child needs to sit in front of the computer screen for, you know, three hours and not take breaks or whatever, it's like to push back on, on that and say, well, that's not really going to work for us. That's not good for my child. They need physical activity. They're not really engaged. And so how can we push back opt out of things because a lot of these arbitrary standards are not developmentally appropriate, are not, they're anti-child in some ways. They're just like, how can I make this easiest for me as the adult who has an agenda? But as a parent, I think it's really our responsibility to not enforce those standards, but to push back and really see how can I help my child to thrive. So sometimes that means pushing back against those rules. Sometimes that means just informing the the teacher or the coach or whatever of what your child's needs are. So for example, I had a friend whose child like became really afraid of the water. They were taking swim lessons. And I think maybe the, the swim teacher was 
maybe being very aggressive and just like, you know, throwing him in the deep end, literally. And just, he became very fearful. And so she was able to find another swim coach and tell the coach, like, our priority is just for our child to become more comfortable in the water. Like they don't even need to learn to swim. It's not their priority to become like an Olympic athlete, (laughs) you know, just get them comfortable in the water so that they can enjoy it. And so that's something that a way that we can advocate for our children too, because like sometimes if you hire a tutor or you hire a coach, they assume that you want them to like upskill and become really excellent in whatever that skill is. And sometimes that's not even the priority. Sometimes the priority is just like, I just want them to have fun. I just want them to play. I just want them to enjoy what they're learning. And so there's no pressure. There's no pressure to like ace this test or to like be the top of, you know, in this competition or whatever. So those are just different ways that we can advocate for our children. I love the idea of being very clear of your expectations when interacting with anybody in your child's village, for lack of a better word, teachers and coaches and extracurriculars and whatever they're involved in. I think a lot of times we put our children into these different scenarios and just kind of go with the status quo because this is the way things are done and we just go with it. But you're absolutely right. That is a great way to advocate is to just kind of take a moment, sit back and assess what your expectations are. What do you hope and want for your child? And then to be very clear with those individuals that are providing these services. And it's just a really interesting way to think about that. So thank you. In both untigering and unschooling, it's essentially a lot of redefining what success is. And you actually host a workshop by this name, Redefining Success, that discusses how to shift away from a tiger parenting mindset, which we've talked about, you know, high achievement, academic rigor, excellence, towards this untigering mindset that values connection, competence, choice, consent. What do you find to be the biggest challenge in a parent's journey to quote unquote, redefining success? I mean, I think our ideas of success are very much conditioned by what society tells us it is. And I think for a lot of us who go after those definitions of success, where it's like material wealth, um, status, you know, have owning your own house, all of those things. I think people strive after those things and end up achieving those things and, and, and then realize like, is this all there is to life? Like, this isn't it. Like, I'm still not happy. I'm still not satisfied. I'm still not living the life that I want to live. And so I think we really need to let go of those traditional definitions. And again, that authenticity piece where we have to know ourselves and we have to allow our children to know themselves and their definition of what a good life means may be completely different than ours. They may want to travel the world and be nomads and, you know, just not have like a stable career, but just be dabbling in different things. And that might be a great life for them. And for us, it might mean like maybe living more minimalistic or whatever. Like, so again, like, 
instead of allowing these outside forces, these systems to define what our life should look like, how can we be more attuned to ourselves so that we are living out the life that was really aligned with who we are and our own values? So I think that's that's the challenge because so much so many of us are just like going through life unconsciously <laughs> without mindfulness, without like questioning why we're doing the things we're doing. And so how can we like take a beat and really consider um, for ourselves and for our children what it is we really want? Do you think it's ever too late to begin this journey? Like, is there a certain age in which the damage to our children has already been done? <laughs> No, absolutely not. It is never, never, ever too late. I mean, I sort of felt like I was late to the game because my children were already past, you know, I think if they say zero to seven is like such a crucial age for our children in terms of development and their understanding of relationships and all that. And I was past that age with my children, at least with my oldest, um, when I started this journey. But I have seen so much transformation in him and my children and me and in our relationship. And even if your children are grown and out of the house, I say this all the time. It's just like how healing and transformative it would be if we as grown children, like if our parents came to us now and took responsibility for some of the things that they did, you know, like how mind-blowing and how transformative that would be to our relationship. And so it's never, never, ever too late to heal and change. And I think that's what makes things so hopeful, you know, like we don't have to just feel shame and guilt and like be hard on ourselves for, for not doing this sooner. You know, when we know better, we do better. And so we can just start now and, and make a difference from now. Ooh, that's a relief. <laughs> I feel a little bit better. Yeah. That I'm not, it's not all is not lost for us. No, no. We want to, we want to approach everything with a growth mindset. you right. Like we tell our children that, and we need to have that same attitude in our own journey and through life, right. We're always growing and, and learning. Sure. We're going to move into our short and sweet final five questions. And I'm so excited to ask you this question because I'm hoping that you'll not only tell us what you're reading or watching right now, but what books you would recommend for us. Not only yours. I mean, of course, you have to go get get her book, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually read that much for like right now where, where I'm at in, in my like life, it, because life is so chaotic or overwhelming. Sometimes I just want to read for fun. <laughs> right. So, yeah. <laughs> Those fast beach reads, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I just recently read crazy rich Asians. <laughs> I hadn't read that actually. So that Her was good things. Christy says it's really good. She must have... Did you read it? You did. Yeah. 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 So it's just like, a, a silly sort of lighthearted thing in terms of what I'm watching like my kids are older now so it's interesting to find different things that we can watch together and we actually started watching the after party it's sort of like a murder mystery thing 
with them. So that's been fun. And then we just recently started on Severance, which is sort of like a darker themed series. But oh, those are good. I'll have to look into those to watch. Yeah, my, yeah I haven't heard of either of those last ones. So I'll have to check them out. Yeah. I think it's on Apple TV, maybe. Mm, I'm not okay. really sure. But yeah. Does your family have a motto? Or some a spoken or unspoken, but any any type of a motto that you um, um I think something that we say, I wouldn't, I don't know if this is a motto, but something that we say oftentimes is listen to your body. <laughs> and what I mean by that, um, what we mean by that is like. I'm not going to be the one to control you, but I want you to attune to yourself to feel what feels right and feels good for you so that you can make your choices mindfully. And yeah, so if that that's like with food, with sleep, with screens, with whatever, you know, like I really try to empower my children to attune to themselves and like, be be aware of how they feel and what their what their feelings what their bodies are telling them so that it's not from a place of control like I think you've had enough chips or you know don't you think it's time to go to bed right now or like get off your screens or whatever it's really asking them to be more aware so that they can have more self-regulation and be empowered to make choices for themselves that feel good instead of feeling controlled. Mm, I love it. It's perfect. What's something new happening in your life right now? I am in the process of writing a new book specifically about unschooling. So yeah, that's in the works and I'm excited to get into it, even though I haven't been very disciplined about it. Congratulations. But, That's so exciting. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to read that. Oh, yeah. Be good. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. What is your favorite thing about being a mother? My favorite thing that I've been experiencing, my favorite thing about being a mother is just the love and connection, being surprised by my children, like seeing them grow into their own person and yeah, just being excited by, by the people that they are becoming. And I think another thing is that the fact that I'm not just a mother, that I am more than a mother, that I am a whole human being, a whole complex person with different desires and dreams. And I think that is one really important thing about being a mother is that we're not just a mother that we are much more than that as well. So true. And everything that you said is so true. What message do you think every mom should hear? I would say it's that same message that I wanted to tell myself, my younger self, is that you are loved and worthy, that you are accepted and safe as you are. Just this act of self-love that we need to constantly offer ourselves in order to be our best selves for, for us and for our children. Oh, Iris, it's been such a joy to sit down and talk to you today. We've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much. Thank yes. You, thank you for having me.
I loved today's conversation. I just had some great insights and I enjoyed hearing more about her experience and how she came to embrace gentle parenting and unschooling. Here are our top three takeaways. One, sometimes we need to do less reading, less research, have less reliance on the quote unquote experts and focus more on our own intuition. Give ourselves more time for our own internal questioning. Who am I? Who is my child? How can we learn to live together and respect one another? It's easy to get wrapped up in all the theories and best practices of parenting, but if you're lost in the research and implementing something that doesn't work for your family or truly resonate with who you are as an individual, it will likely always be a struggle to truly make it work. This isn't to say you shouldn't build awareness and continue learning different parenting strategies. Of course, we all have room for improvement. We can always learn from others, but we also need to give ourselves room to consider what we personally see as the best solution. Nobody knows our child or your family like you do. Maybe the best situation in your specific scenario is a blend of strategies from multiple different theories and experts. And perhaps it doesn't come from an outside source at all. Maybe after some internal questioning and learning to listen to your intuition and trust yourself, the answer will be right there in front of you. Two, I was so grateful to hear Iris say it's never too late to shift our parenting. She reminded us that sometimes as a parent, we won't respond the way we want to. Gentle parenting is a practice. It's not something that we will get perfect every single day. Rather, gentle parenting is about building our awareness, taking the time to notice our emotions, notice what triggers certain feelings and responses within us. And then rather than reacting, we strive to pause and sit with it, ask ourselves questions and attempt to, dis to discern what wounds are being activated within us. Over time, if you're able to identify those triggers, you can be proactive and put in place clear boundaries that support you and help keep you from reaching that reactionary point. True gentle parenting is not just about the child. It is about the whole family and being attuned to ourselves. Three, when it comes to advocating for your child, look at how you can really be on the side of your child instead of on the side of the system. It is all too easy to see the expectations of society, the coach, the teacher, the school, and become enmeshed with our child meeting those expectations without ever stopping to think critically if they are really serving and in the best interest of your child. We have so many arbitrary rules and expectations put in place in our society because it helps the systems run more efficiently. It gives our world structure. But at the same time, every child is a unique individual and these rigid systems won't. They, they can't serve every child in the way they need to be cared for. They simply can't. These activities and systems we enroll our child in are meant to help and empower your child, to teach them a new skill, to help them learn. But as a parent, it is your right, your privilege, your duty to assess if these systems are actually serving your child. Don't immediately assume because you are an adult, the parent, that you should try to be on the side of the system enforcing these standards and rules upon your child. Instead, ask how you can support your child and if needed, push 
back against the systems that don't serve your specific individual child. Sometimes that means pushing back against the rules. Sometimes that means just informing the teacher or the coach of what your child's needs are. You are the parent and you do have a say. Hey, bye, friends. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us so you're the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you.